Welcome to the Friday Workplace Briefing. Workplace law changes so quickly. Tune in weekly to find out how the law is changing and what you need to do. Your hosts are Andrew Douglas, Managing Principal, FCW Lawyers, and Karen Liu, Principal Consultant, Sound Consulting. G'day, Karen. How are you? Fabulous. What's it like to be over 4-0? Four zero. Hey, I'm forty and I'm fresh. Yeah, I'm freezing as well. I'm wearing four layers of clothes and I'm still cold. But that aside, I'm fresh. Well, that's I'm different. I've got seal fat. <laughs> you can't get cold. I can't get over the fact that you're wearing like dress boots. Yeah, look at this. Look at this. Boots, I'm thinking there's boots. something wrong. I've never, I've known him for so long, and I've never seen him wear dress boots. Right. I think we now need to move on. Karen's had a quiet day alone on a birthday. Yeah. God, you dream about those days, don't you? Absolutely. You dream great. about those it was days. Wonderful. All right, we've got a lot to get through today, and we always do, but there's been some fascinating and interesting cases. The Qantas Redundancy case went on appeal before the full bench of the Federal Court, and that was a case where Qantas, by their own acknowledgement, terminated a whole lot of people redundancies just before the nominal expiry date of the Enterprise Agreement, so they couldn't take protected industrial action. Now, that's not how it was first run, but as time has gone on, there's been an openness about that. It was argued by Qantas in the Court of Appeal that, well, we weren't preventing someone doing a workplace right. They didn't have a workplace right at the time which we did it. And as I, we're chatting downstairs, we're having a coffee. You know, Qantas are a professional litigator. They're in the middle of a terrible period of time and they're willing to take a risk on this case because if they didn't get rid of these people, they were in a lot of trouble. Mm-hmm. And they're willing to defer that risk by running it through courts with, with, with not a bad argument that says the Fair Work Act, when it talks about preventing a workplace right, assumes as part of that that the workplace right is existent at the time which you prevent it. And the full bench said, no, 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 no. Preventing it from before it happens is just as bad as preventing it when it exists. So it was seen that they were being opportunistic. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't say that when we had coffee. (laughs) Damn it, you've done me over on that very, very quick. I'm moving on to the next case. So if we can move on to employee terminate. All right. I reckon that Limfelt is one of the more interesting cases that come through, and this is a case that's um, come from, I'm not sure whether it was Nina or Matt who raised this with me, but they're very excited when they raised it with me. Limfelt was a, you can smell it, can't you? He was a difficult guy. He didn't really like working under the yoke of a younger boss. He raised multiple gripes. Yep. He also failed to comply with directions and orders and was just a very difficult employee. Mm. He cloaked himself as a whistleblower in raising some complaints, what he described as complaints about how safety could be done better in three or four operations. And what the court said is this, look, they're not really complaints. They're talking about how something could be improved, Mm. but they're not a complaint that goes towards a risk that exists. They go towards an improvement. And on that basis, you can't really be a whistleblower because the employer has committed no misconduct or alleged misconduct. It's about improving something. But, Karen, this is a case, and by the way, at the end of this, because he was this fractious, difficult soul who probably everybody was tired of, they rushed and blew the process. But he brought an adverse action claim, like so many people when they get angry, reach for the biggest gun they can find, and failed in that because there wasn't a complaint in relation to safety. Had he brought an unfair dismissal claim, he would have been successful. But... Tell me, just repeat what you said to me over coffee. What was the obvious answer for all of this? Well, there was a genuine concern or complaint around safety or any other matter that was work-related. 
as a manager or the employer should have met him immediately to seek to understand the nature of that complaint and work with him to, to resolve that. That would have been the most practical and timely and cost-efficient way to do it. Now, to quote the godfather, keep your friends close, your enemies closer. This, <laughs> or as my mum would have said, do your best for the worst. So all they had to do really was keep close to this guy rather than being resentful of him. And when he raised the safety issue, do a risk assessment. Do you know the amount of time that's been spent litigating this man and dealing with his difficult behaviour rather than saying, you failed to follow this direction, I'm going to have a chat with you. Yep. You've raised the safety issue, let's go and do a risk assessment. All those things are short, clear, well-documented processes, which would have meant had he brought the right action here, which is unfair dismissal, he would have lost that too. Yeah, so certainly for, for your business, you would have been able to resolve an issue if it was genuine and you would have been, if there was an argument about that, it's completely defensible as well. And the other part is that difficult people often raise valid issues and that by continuing to pushing them away, A, you're making them bad. Yeah. They don't necessarily have to stay bad. Mm. You can bring them onto your side. But often they raise things which are really important. Had you listened to them, you would improve your operations, improve your I've safety. dealt with so many of these type of issues, Andrew, and often when we're dealing with, you want to call them difficult people, complex employees, the question that can't be answered right away is, so what is the issue? Because, oh, they're difficult. Oh, I don't know. They're just... So what is the issue? Because let's establish what that is so we can deal with that. And there may be one issue, maybe a series of issues, maybe a historical issue. I don't know. But can we get to the, can we define what the issue is? Then we can actually seize control and do something about it. And how many times do we get to the unfair dismissal stage and it's just the straw that broke the camel's back? Yep. So something tiny, someone has fallen upon, they've characterised this awful thing, they come along to you and I and say, we've sacked this person. You know, he did outrageous behaviour and I said he mm -hmm. was seven minutes late. You, you kill it. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Are you kidding me? <laughs> but because internally there's a hypersensitivity that grows right. around these complex cells, we make them worse, so we damage our operation. We lose money. We damage our talent pool around them. They stay there for a long time. Mm. They become deeply resentful. And at the end of it, the method of exiting them is litigious. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a lot of lessons in this case. Not a great case in relation to law, but a really fascinating case about what I could have done better. Yep. Let's go to the next one. This is a case which, I don't know, Karen, when I started reading this case, I just thought I wanted to ring you straight away. It's not <laughs> a, the giggle case of all times. Better read, file their application to get their enterprise agreement accepted by the Fair Work Commission, and they rejected it. And they rejected it because Better Read failed to explain the terms and conditions of the enterprise agreement as required at law to their employees so they have a proper understanding. And the reason they did it is this unregistered organisation who was representative of the employees, which is just a rogue organisation, dumb and dumber. I, mean, I know this is the dumbest organisation that walked on the earth, okay, <laughs> because... <laughs> What the employer did is say, oh, well, they can go and tell the employees what's in it because we've had this terrible fight getting here. These idiots get to the commission to argue over the enterprise agreement. This is an unregistered organisation. They say, no, 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 we were never doing that on behalf of the employer. So the Fair Work Commission tear it up. So on behalf of their employees where they've had this litigious path where the employees have now got the entitlements they want, they are so fractious and so stupid that they don't just do what every other union does, which is go, yep, everything's good, boss, boss let's That's get this right. going so we'll get paid. Yeah. Unbelievable, isn't it? It's unbelievable <laughs> on, on a number of different fronts. <laughs> I guess that the union, or not the union, the, the registered or oh, unregistered nothing, nothing so good as the union here. Uh, yeah, okay, all right. 
But look, the bit that gets me though is the employer. Look, regardless of how fractious that relationship might be with employees at any given point in time, you've got to take ownership and accountability for engaging. You've got to insert a yeah. spine, don't you? Yeah, you do. Well, you just you said it a lot more, you know, eloquently than I did. Yeah. But yes, you can't defer that to somebody else. You can't outsource to somebody else. I've always said, Andrew, who engage, whoever engages best wins. And that doesn't go away. For as long as you have an employment relationship, you must own it. How many people allow inmates to run a prison? Well, clearly. <laughs> Why would you let an unregistered organisation run your business for you? Why wouldn't you just step up, get the spine put in and go, you're my employees. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk to you. I don't care how angry you are. I want to talk to you. I want to tell you what's in here. I've negotiated with this unregistered organisation who's acted like lunatics, but you're my people. Why wouldn't you do Anyway, great. Look, it's just fun for me to rant about. That's the only reason this case is here. It's not because it has any value at all. What I can say... Well, actually, it does. He's just saying that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go on to the next one, So, Come on, we're, we're killing it here. John Bell and Medak. This is a case which is really out there. John Bell was a chef. Is yep. it, you're looking, is there something wrong there? Is no, the word curious is what I removed what was there before Okay. Yeah, because we would have been sued. John Bell was a chef. He's a funny guy. He said disparaging things to First Nations people. He didn't hand in menus. He was a chef. I just thought I'd add that. Yep. He didn't do timesheets. He was an employee. He's a pretty awful character and... I think I just got sued then, actually. <laughs> and they appointed an HR manager, which I would always thought was a good idea when you've got over 100 people, and the HR manager quite properly started bringing him into line, talked about the way he spoke disparagingly towards people. He then said gratuitously a whole lot of disparaging things about First Nation people, and the HR manager thought, it's not good, mm. counselled him about it. The behaviours continued. When they started dealing with performance issues, he refused to attend meetings. He did all sorts of stuff. He's a really, really difficult guy and they, they ultimately terminate him. The curious doctor's certificate part is the funny part, that after conciliation, his mate, the doctor, amended the certificate of capacity to make his case stronger. And not surprisingly, the Fair Commission found that more than curious and they said that shone a light really on his lack of credibility mm. as witness. Yeah. But what this case really tells you is you've got to stop bad behaviour early. This case talks about a period of time over which this person's misbehaviour continued. It is extraordinary. He was their chef for a whole organisation. Can you imagine the level of destabilising and damage and hurt that was being done? I don't know this guy, but as you read it, you just go, wow, you let this continue? Mm. And they did for a long period of time. Now, they had some problems around the way in which they managed it, but fortunately, Bell did ultimately respond immediately when the allegations were put to them. This case is just here to remind people it, it does have no legal interest for us at all. I've chosen it just because condemnation is such a risk. There is, were it not for the, the actions of this very careful and precise HR manager doing exactly the right thing, this is a case where he would not he would have been successful in disputing his dismissal. Mm. because there had been such a significant period of people going, yeah, I know he does it, and just letting him do it. Mm -hmm. And that's in everything. That's saying the disparaging and racist comments that he was making. It's being harassing. It's it's everything. He's bullying. He's failure to put in time. All of it, people were letting go. And this HR manager came and said no. Look, great, and great job. And you read through the judgment what a good HR manager should look like. Yeah. Courageous, bold, fair generous, all those sort of things. But I just raise it, 
Had it not been for the strong and structured process this HR manager brought to bear, then this case would have rolled over and he would have been reinstated. A dreadful result. Yeah, but even without the HR manager, Andrew, this behaviour predates, you know, uh, their appointment. So just when you've got people who are just toxic or employees are just behaving badly, performing badly, it damages you culturally so much. Commercially, it is so costly. It just makes no business sense whatsoever. So I'd really encourage, you know, it is difficult, particularly if it's a long time that you've had that person in place, but you're going to have to confront it at some point and do be, something. Remember, be best to your worst. So that someone's doing that, you immediately talk to them, you're kind to them, you point out what the behaviour is, you mm. set your expectations and you tell them what will happen next. Yeah. Never be scared of dealing with bad behaviour. Yep. And I guess today I've deliberately chucked in a couple of cases which deal with it because it's the thing we most frequently see as lawyers and you see as an HR person dealing with it. Mm. All right. Well, look, last week we talked about the political changes that we're seeing. Yep. We saw Anthony Albanese come out last night and, again, make some more suggestions about what he might do about underpayment, but we're really seeing, we're seeing nothing of any substance coming through. But we raised last week this issue of why do we have all these jurisdictions? And I just thought for fun I might talk through for you, Karen, yeah. some of the differences that exist across. And I made a couple How of notes. How different could it possibly be? Well, we, you know, my crew look at 64 different statutes that apply to workplace law and a number of different common law mm. enunciations of what particular phrases mean in each jurisdiction. So, in fact, a phrase may appear in one piece of law and have a very different interpretation. So that's probably 120 different pieces of law that we're looking at when we're dealing with national employers or people who work across state boundaries. But if we just look at the really obvious things, workers' compensation is the best example of the worst, if that makes sense. You know, you've got some states which are private insured, so you can actually challenge your rate and you can, through your own safety performance, lower your rate in a real way and find a better insurer. But most are government-based ones. The period of time over which you determine what is going to be your rate and the components of how to determine it, you know, Victoria has 143 components in their algorithm. Some have five or six. Some are over three years. Some are over five years. Crazy stuff. You know, New Victoria and Queensland are the only two states where you can seek a declaration from somebody as their pre-injury status under workers' comp legislation. The periods of time under which you must maintain employment 12 months in Victoria, six months in New South Wales, but their IR Act can extend that to two years where if where they can come back and apply for that. It goes on and on, and every jurisdiction is different. Only Western Australia can you settle the proceedings through a common law process. Everywhere you go, there is difference in workers' compensation, and even how you become self-insured, the rules around that vary in each jurisdiction in which you apply. That's a terrible outcome. Because nobody can understand that. You know, we use Simon Booth to give us a bit of a window into it, and Kim understands that. They'd be two or, one of two or three people in the whole of Australia can actually explain. Yeah, but they're, they're solely dedicated. Well, Kim does a lot more, of course, but Simon is a specialist in this space, and there is the volume of what he has to understand it's is incredible. A, yeah, and so then you go to discrimination law, and, you know, there's um, – attributes which are protected in Victoria, for instance, which are protected nowhere else, such yeah. as physical appearance, which is why I live in Victoria, <laughs> as well as age. Second reason I live in Victoria. <laughs> the difference in what is the test, whether you use a comparator or not. So in Victoria, if you adversely affect someone as a result of an attribute, 
you have liability. But otherwise, in other states, there is difference around the comparator test. If I treat you differently than an objective person, what that actually looks like, what are the tests of reasonableness? They vary across all jurisdictions. Not only that, the federal jurisdiction allows costs and state jurisdictions don't. Mm. So you're actually playing into a plaintiff lawyer's hand of choosing the jurisdiction that is most beneficial to the employee. Crazy place. If we look at restraint of trade, New South Wales has a Restraint of Trade Act which allows you to read down restraints. No other state does. Although there are jurisdictional differences in interpretation that sit in the courts, every else in Australia is different. Mm. If I go to safety, Victoria is different, okay, quite different. And there are only five places that have industrial manslaughter. Each have different penalties. Why? <laughs> Just why? Four states prevents, are going to move against, self, against insurance. The others aren't. Yeah. Why? How do you run a business when you don't understand? But let's, let's keep going because I'm having fun there. Surveillance Devices Act, okay? Covert surveillance is not permitted in New South Wales and Queensland without an identification you're doing covert surveillance. That sort of takes away from being covert, by the way, when you're looking over someone's fence. You've got a holder signed up, I'm looking over your fence. It doesn't work very well. In Victoria, you can. Mm. I look at privacy legislation. Only three states and territories have dedicated health records privacy and the privacy legislation varies between states in relation to government, the state government, not too much. But what that means is we've got about 30 or 40 privacy commissioners. And it comes to my point that not only is it impossible for business, it means that all our regulators are underfunded, and that's why they're toothless. Well, they could also be wrong in their... Yeah, imagine if we just had seven major regulators, how, how the funds would be channeled into to have high-performing regulators how much less litigation at a commercial level we'd have at a workplace level because we'd have regulators going and How more and check. productive would our businesses be? But yeah, and how easy, if I appoint you as an HR manager, you know you need to know seven pieces of legislation, hmm. one piece of common law. Yeah. So the reason I'm ranting about it, I guess, is why are the two parties and everybody else, including Greens, including Clive Palmer's whatever party, whatever it is, why do people not see this is such a burden on business, on employees mm -hmm. and on government? And the answer is straightforward, you know, awards. Why awards? Mm. Yeah, I know they're historical and that's nice. I read history books. But why can't you just centralise that into one place in the Fair Work Act and say these are minimum terms and conditions? And if there are particular industry risks, so heat risks and mm -hmm. things like that, you say in the following industries, this is the heat rule. Mm. Why do we have to do this so our enterprise agreements can then flexibly play out across businesses that have multiple industry with them? Yeah. But instead of that, we're stuck in this process where it is just so hard. And the questions that I've had that have come across my desk in the last two weeks since I've raised this, which are multi-jurisdictional questions, there's not a lot of lawyers who actually know the answers either. You know, I'm sitting there going, we need to go there, Nina, you need to have a look at that. This is a hard job. It's a hard job for me. It's impossible for business. Yeah. So I guess, can you please thump the desk a little bit? Unfortunately, you won't be able to vote on this issue because there's nothing Because nobody to wants to talk about it. Yeah. Nobody wants to talk about it, but I'm not giving up. I just want you to know that. <laughs> Maybe in our lifetime, like everything you're saying, Andrew, into this advice, yeah. I totally believe it, and maybe one day because it would be, it's really an injustice really to our economy and our country at the moment, the way things are set up. So. Yeah, and there's no benefit that falls either way. That's not better for employees or better for employers. Absolutely. It's just dumb. Yeah. All right. 
here we go with the case study. Let's okay. go through the problem first. I've been off for a couple of weeks. Let's see. Um, I might be a bit rusty reading this if there's a couple of tricky okay. words in here, and, uh, Andrew. But anyway, firstly, let's go. Angelo was a welder working for Rig Dig Minerals, RDM, a remote drilling rig in Victoria. He worked under the supervision of Vince, a much older mechanical engineer who was very hands-on. When Vince was asked to describe himself at a recent evaluation, he said, I'm the sort of guy who calls a spade an effing shovel. I'm not ever going to be a shiny-ass city slicker who hides behind the truth. I tell the truth, warts and all. Uh, city, shiny-ass. I just want to say hi to the midfield guys. He described lawyers who wear suits as shiny-ass. <laughs> <laughs> That's where I got that from. <laughs> actually, they do say that, actually. Cool. All right, so his refusal to roll over to political correctness, as he called it, led to many conflicts where he used pejorative. 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 <laughs> Unbelievable. Pejorative, an offensive language to others based on race, disability, or any other attribute he frowned upon. Angelo was a laid back guy and described himself as a proud First Nations person, but working for Vince over the past six months had worn him down. Vince had made several derogatory comments to Angelo in recent weeks, but no worse or more frequent than usual. As Angelo took time to set up a job, Vince commented, You guys always get lost and go walk about. As Angelo took an early break for lunch, as the heat was over 38 degrees, Vince said, surely heat doesn't worry you guys, guys like you much. Can't you just dig deep and help us finish the job? And when they went for a drink after work near an isolated town, Vince mocked, be careful, you guys don't handle your drinks too well. On the 2nd of February, Vince saw Angelo rubbing two short steel beams to remove the rust before welding and laughingly shouted, now you're trying to start a fire, I guess. Angelo couldn't take it any longer. He grabbed Vince by the arm and said, if you utter one more racist remark in front of me, I will beat the shit out of you. Vince complained to his boss immediately. He explained the story and said he needed it to stop as it was destroying his life and he couldn't promise he wouldn't respond violently. Angelo was called into a meeting with HR and was offered a support. Sorry, that shouldn't be Vince complained to his boss. That should be Angelo complained to his boss. Okay. That's me writing stuff at midnight. <laughs> okay. So, okay, he was given a show cause letter asking why his employment shouldn't be terminated for his violent behaviour and the threat of further violent, violent action by way of an ultimatum. Angelo turned up to the meeting and demanded to know why they had convened a kangaroo court before leaving. His employment was terminated. All right. We've got four questions in Slido today, more than usual. Interesting stuff. We, You and I are both involved in a number of cases that sit around these types of issues at the moment. Very, very hard where there has been a protracted period of behaviours. Very, very hard where somebody's just slight of mouth, where somebody mm. just drops a comment as they walk past. Mm. So we thought we'd agitate all those issues in a much broader context with this case study today to say to people, if you just let it happen, this is what it looks like. It's really not surprising in a way, and I've been in a case uh, about a year ago where Angelo was the Angelo person was the person who got the show cause. Not the Vince person, because of the action of the Angelo person when it finally got too much. All right, I don't think you're going to have too much trouble for the first question, are you? Could this discrimination, given Vince disparaged everyone and anyone on any basis, could this be discrimination? So in Victoria, it's really easy. Yes, it can be because it's treating someone adversely. Mm -hmm. That's it. But the comparator doesn't have to be another person they're also treating badly. Comparator is an objective test. So what you'd say is the way in which I treat Angelo, would I treat another person who works in the organisation who's not a First Nation person differently? And the answer would be with Vince. I treat everyone the same. 
but that's not the test. It's an objective test of who that person is. Yeah. And under that circumstance, it's most definitely discrimination. Okay, I just I want to clear that up. It's an argument that's often run with me, and I just want you to be clear. That just means that Vince discriminates against and harasses everybody. Mm-hmm. Could the safety regulator prosecute Vince under Section 76 of the OHS Act in Victoria, which exists throughout everywhere? And that says where a person raises a safety complaint with an employer and they treat them badly as a result of that, it is an indictable offence. Now, we raised this last week and we got a number of questions, so I thought I'd throw it back in with a different thing where it's not a physical risk that's being raised, it is a psychosocial risk that's being raised because of the discriminatory behaviour. And safety law does capture that risk, okay? So, yes, they could and would prosecute in Victoria now on that basis very readily. Yep, and just on that, Andrew, the impact, that's a that impacts the organisation quite widely, particularly um, given the type of work that they do. For example, with government, it could really be very problematic. And look, we've seen this in labour hire. Okay, now we haven't had a prosecution in labour hire, but when we're looking at this, the Pacific Island solution, a number of other solutions that draws people from other countries, mm-hmm. a prosecution based on this would terminate the labour hire agreement. Yep. Okay, now remember, most overseas labour hire agreements have a safety clause in there that says a breach of safety to, in respect to these. But A, must be notified. Mm-hmm. They notify and gave you a case last week where Michaela Cash suspended someone's rights with government. Mm. Same exists under labour hire because it's federal government, okay? Yep. So I want you to be clear about this stuff. The behaviour towards people must be respectful of their race, ethnicity and other. otherwise safety can be used. In Victoria, because of the nature of the state government's focus on racial behaviour, and on psychosocial health, it would be. Yep. Okay, so there's a really strong chance to be prosecuted. And as I've said before, you know, Patrick's case is the leading case on this, which was a safety allegation around the handling of steel, but nonetheless it was a $180,000 fine. But mm. it is an indictable offence and can be against an individual as well. Number three, could Angelo commence a claim about a safety complaint under Section 340 of the Fair Work Act? And that is where someone talks about a workplace right, it's protected under safety legislation, it's raising a complaint of safety, could be bullying, could be harassment. Yes, you're right, Angelo could. And he would be successful in this case about mm-hmm. it, okay? Now, could Angelo fail in an unfair dismissal claim in the Fair Work Commission? All right, now let's talk about that very quickly. Did Angelo have a valid reason in bringing the complaint? Yeah, yeah, he was being discriminated. That's valid, okay? So the defences then say, could the company defend an unfair dismissal and say there is no valid claim? I'm going to get this back to front. There is a valid claim. Yes, because of his violence, there's a valid claim. Yeah. Okay? So you get across the valid test. That's how loaded. It took me a while to get there, didn't it? It's My okay. brain is just cactus today. <laughs> and I did nothing bad last night. Nothing bad at all. I'm sober and straight today. It's terrible. So, yes, it's a valid claim, and I want you to see how easy that test is passed. Yeah. The next question is, would it be harsh? We don't know a lot about his circumstances, okay? So probably is going to be harsh, but that's not the real question. Was it reasonable? Well, the answer is when you look at the facts in this case, it's clearly unreasonable because the the provocateur, the person who did this, is Vince. Mm -hmm. So it's not reasonable and it's not just because it's not lawful. Had they investigated it correctly, they would have found, yes, Angelo did the wrong thing and, yes, he may have been disciplined for it, but he could not be terminated for what he did. So it would be unjust and unreasonable. So... Now that I've got it right about the unfair dismissal claim because I'm a dick, then you can see why Angela would definitely succeed in unfair dismissal, adverse action, 
and the safety prosecution and discrimination law. All right, that's all with eight seconds to go. Well, look, it was a it was a case, but again, touching on various different pieces of legislation, Andrew. So it's never simple, is it? And that just shows you how complex it is, particularly mm. when discrimination claim can be run at the same time as an adverse action claim. Yeah. Crazy stuff. Can you do these things? I don't know what any oh, of those are, but cool. I know Sophie wants you to do those things. Pick one. Yeah, I like the clapping a lot and I like the heart and the thumbs up. I'm not sure about light bulb and I don't know why the guy's picking light his nose. Light bulb is a good idea. Uh, what's the guy picking his nose? No, he's not picking his nose. That's how you pick your nose. Oh, that's, that's how not, yeah. I, like, I clean the teeth and pick my nose at the same time. All right, guys. See you later. Thank you very much. Great to catch up, Karen. Yeah, you too. Cheers. See you, everyone. Bye. Bye-bye.